I want to put a statement up on the screen as we begin a new year, and I want you to think about this statement. I want you to see if you agree with what I'm about to put on the screen. As we think about a new year, as we think about serving the Lord Jesus in 2023, the statement is simply this, all Christians are to be servants. All Christians are to be servants. I want you to think about that for a moment and figure out that you agree with that, that all Christians, and notice that we capitalize the word all, all Christians are to be servants. Well, I hope that you agree with that. I hope that you realize that part of being saved is service, serving the Lord Jesus, and there's tons of ways to do that, and, and we have all kinds of people serving, and, and music, as we just heard, is one of those areas and one of those ways of serving, and there's so many other ways. But if you agree with that and you serve the Lord Jesus in some fashion, uh, maybe in, in various ways, let me ask you another question to think about today. Do you want to be effective in your service for the Lord Jesus? Do you want to be effective in your ministry? I think most everyone that would um, be in their right mind and be honest would say yes to that question. No one wants to say, you know, I want to serve the Lord Jesus, but I don't want to be effective. I, I don't want to really do the best job that I can do. I, I really want to fail in what the Lord has called me to do. Now, I've got I to be careful here. I want to define effective because you may be thinking one direction and I'm talking a different one. When I say the word effective, to be effective in our service for Jesus, I'm not talking about worldly success. I'm not even talking about necessarily numbers or certainly not making a name for ourselves because sometimes we think about effectiveness from a worldly point of view. No, when we say effective in our service for Jesus, what we mean is this. We're doing what God has called us to do in His strength and for His glory. We're doing what God has called us to do in His strength and for His glory, and we leave the results, whatever they are, up to Him. We leave the results totally to Him. So I want to give you today, um, really from the Scriptures, just simply this, three characteristics of an effective servant. Talking about serving the Lord Jesus, and effective there meaning we're doing what God has called us to do in His strength for His glory and leaving the results up to Him. Now before I give them to you, I've got to pause and I've got to let you know that today's message is for Christians. It's for believers. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, what I'm about to say is not going to make a lot of sense. In fact, some of what I'm about to say is actually going to be very strange sounding to you. And the reason that is is because the Bible talks about the fact that spiritual truth is discerned by spiritual people. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, much of what I'm going to talk about will sound very foreign, especially the first characteristic. So I've got to just pause for a moment and say this, that the beginning point of serving Jesus, of course, is knowing Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you can't truly serve Jesus. You know, we just came through the Christmas season and we have thought about the coming of the Lord Jesus and the little baby in the manger who grew to be a man, the God-man, and who lived a sinless, perfect life. And the reason he came, of course, was to die. And it'll be just, we'll blink our eyes, it seems, just a couple of times, and next thing you know, it'll be Easter. And we'll be celebrating the resurrection because we go from Christmas to the life of the Lord Jesus, then his death on the cross, his voluntary death, not for his sin. He knew no sin. He didn't have any sin. He took our sin upon himself. He died. He was buried. He rose again victorious, and he did all of that because he loves you, and he loves me. And the Bible's very clear that all of us need the Savior because we've all sinned and we've messed up. We've fallen short of the glory of God. 
So if you've never received Christ, today's the day to turn from your sin and place your faith, your trust, your dependence upon Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. Now, if you've done that, and by the way, if you haven't, I hope you will today, but if you've done that, today's message is especially for you. Three characteristics of an effective servant. If, if you would, if you'll find a little book of Jude. Now, if you don't go to Jude often, I'll tell you the quickest way to get there. Go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and turn back a page, and you'll be at Jude. Because in reality, Jude may only be one page in your Bible because Jude is just one chapter. And so when we give a reference for Jude, we don't even put the chapter. We just say Jude 1, Jude 2, Jude 3. And it's referring, of course, to the verse. And so if you would find um, this morning the book of Jude and find simply Jude 1. And Jude 1 is where we'll begin today. Jude 1. As we think about three characteristics of an effective servant. Now, as we look at these characteristics, I want you to look honestly at your life today. And I want to see if these things describe you, if they describe your service, if they describe the ministry that God has given for you to do. In Jude 1, we find simply these words. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And as I look at that verse I want to go to the end of it and we could preach a message talking about to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And that would be a wonderful thing to do. But that's not our focus today. Our focus is on the first part of the verse where it says Jude. So that's who writes the letter. And then he describes himself. He says he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And I want to bring some characteristics out of this passage here that will describe an effective servant. I'm just going to mention three, but the first one's going to sound very strange to maybe many, as we say. If you're going to be an effective servant, if we're going to be effective for the Lord Jesus, we must be slaves. We must be slaves. Now you say, slaves? Slavery? Really, preacher? Yes, slavery. Look at what he says there. Jude says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. A bondservant. The term that Jude uses there in the Greek, now you have to remember, the New Testament was written in Greek originally. The term that Jude used there is not diakonos, which can mean a servant, but doulos, which means slave. What he's saying there is Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. One scholar said in the Greco-Roman world, slavery was widespread making the familiar New Testament designation bond servant very significant. It denoted being owned and rendering, listen, absolute selfless submission to someone, in this case, to Jesus as Lord. If you're going to be effective as a servant, you've got to realize that you as a believer are a slave, a bond servant, a doulos to Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to remember something right off the bat here. And that is who our master is. <laughs> we are not a slave to the church. We are not a slave to a religious leader. We're not a slave to a religion itself. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. And beloved, there is no greater master in all the world. We have the greatest master, the Lord Jesus. Now be honest, and, and all of us feel this way. When you think of slavery, what do you think of? Well, we think of the practice, the horrible practice of owning someone. 
And oftentimes, as we've heard about reports of slavery, not only owning someone, but abusing someone. And I'm totally against that. Totally against that. Furthermore, we know that that practice still goes on today. There are enslaved people in our own nation. There are enslaved people in other nations. Those who are in bondage. We often maybe sometimes refer to it as human trafficking and other things. And beloved, we should do everything within our power to prevent that, to expose that, to rescue people from that, to minister to those people, to make sure that does not go on if we have anything to do with it. To pray for them, to minister to them. Because that is such a horrible thing. But I don't want the fact that we often think of slavery in such a negative light to rob you of what the Bible is saying here. We think about the word slave in such a negative way and obviously from history and from what we know of it. But we can miss out on the beauty of what Jude is saying here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You see, being a slave, when Jude says he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ, he's a slave of Jesus Christ, being a slave really simplifies your life. It really simplifies your life. If Jesus is your master, if you're owned by the Lord, and we are, we're bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. In fact, in a real sense, we could probably say we're twice His. We're His because He created us. And we're His because He redeemed us. He bought us. But if if we are slaves of Jesus Christ, if He's our Lord, if He's our master, It really simplifies our life. Why? Because all we have to do then is trust and obey Him and do what He's told us to do. Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary, you can read about him, a wonderful missionary in church history. Um, He was a missionary to China and founder of what is known today as the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. He gave this excellent advice, and this is good advice to any servant of Jesus Christ. He said, let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, Our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into God's hand. And then when we have given all over to Him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. What wonderful advice for the Christian life. We just give it all to Him. Our plans, our families, our dreams, our goals, our everything, we just hand them over to the Lord. And then we have nothing to be troubled about. Jude recognized that his position was that of being a bondservant, that of being a slave. And that is something that Jude willingly and voluntarily entered, and and so did we. Yet we're bought with a price. We're not our own. We're a purchased possession. But we serve today not out of compulsion, not because we have to. We serve out of a heart of love because we want to. Mark this reference down, Ephesians 6, 5, and 8. It says, bondservants, that is slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And so if you're going to be an effective servant for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're going to be all that God wants you to be, you've got to recognize, you've got to lay down your rights and say, Lord, I'm yours. You are master. You're the one that's calling the shots. You're in control. You're the one who tells me what to do. I'm here. I'm your slave. I'm your bondservant. And I do it out of a heart of love, Lord. Because I know that your will for my life is absolutely best. 
I know you always have my best in mind and you do it for my good and your glory. And so if we're going to be effective, if we're going to do what God has called us to do in His strength, for His glory, leaving the results up to Him, then we must recognize that we are bondservants, we are slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is a wonderful place to be. Because we have a wonderful Master. Well, that's the first characteristic. You say, wow, that's enough right there just to think about. Well, it is, but there's more here. And we find it right here in the passage. If we're going to be effective in our service for Jesus Christ, we not only must be slaves, we must also be humble. Be humble. I believe that Jude showed that he was humble in several ways in this passage. We already see that he's humbled himself and acknowledged that he's a slave, a bondservant, a doulos to the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice the next phrase. He says that he's Jude a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He showed humility, first of all, by what he did mention. He says, I'm the brother of James. I'm the brother of James. Listen to what one person wrote about James. Since James needed no further introduction, he probably was James, the brother of the Lord Jesus. That is, the half-brother of Jesus. James came to prominence as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Paul identified him as one of the pillars of the church. It is likely that the epistle that bears the name of James was written by James, the brother of the Lord. And so when Jude introduces himself, you know, by the way, when they wrote letters back then, they signed them at the beginning, which makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? We do it the opposite way. We say, dear so-and-so, and we sign them at the end. If you get a long letter, you've got to kind of look to the back and see who's it from. But they just put their signature right up front. Jude, and then notice what he says right away. He says, Jude a bondservant of Jesus and brother of James. Obviously, Jude had no problem being identified as the brother of James. We don't find pride here. We don't find arrogance here. He's willing to play one of the most difficult instruments in all the world. You know what the most difficult instrument it is to play? Second fiddle. Second fiddle. If I want to play first fiddle, no, I'll take second fiddle. Listen, are you willing to let somebody else get the credit? Are you willing for somebody else's name to be printed rather than yours? Does it really matter who gets the credit if God gets the honor and the glory? I like what 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. If we're going to be effective in our service for Jesus Christ, We must practice humility. We must be more concerned with the glory of the Lord and the name of Jesus than we are our own name or our credit or whatever. In fact, the Bible says very clearly what they were to esteem others better than ourselves. We must make sure that all glory is directed to where it belongs, the Lord himself. Alistair Begg, a wonderful preacher of the gospel, um, he, he, he wrote that John Thornton told Charles Simeon that there are three lessons that a minister has to learn. Three lessons a minister has to learn. Number one, humility. Number two, humility. And number three, humility. Those were the three lessons that a minister has, has to learn. And he said afterwards, Simeon wrote out twice in his private notebook in large letters these words, talk not about myself. Humility. 
Jude showed humility by what he did mention. I'm the brother of James. But did you notice likewise he showed humility by what he didn't mention? He mentioned Jesus there, but what did he say about Jesus? He didn't say, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. Because he would have been. No, he says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus. I'm a slave of Jesus. Jesus is my master. We believe that James and, and Jude here, they were the half-brothers of the Lord Jesus. Matthew thirteen fifty-five. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Isn't this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So we understand that though Jesus was virgin born, he had no full brothers and sisters, if you will, from a human standpoint. He did have brothers and sisters that were half brothers and sisters. Because after... Mary brought forth the Lord Jesus. Remember it said that Joseph knew her not till after she brought forth her firstborn son. Well, after she brought forth her firstborn son, they later knew each other and they had children. And Jesus Christ had brothers and sisters who grew up with it. Can you imagine what that must have been like? It's interesting, though, because it, for a long time they did not believe on the Lord Jesus. John chapter 7, verse 5, For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't mean this in too much of a humorous way, but it is somewhat humorous to me. How tough would it be to have Jesus as your older brother? Can you imagine that? Why can't you be more like Jesus? I don't know if they did that or not. But they didn't believe on Him for a long time. But it's interesting when you get to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And here we have Jude. And we have James. So take heart, beloved. Maybe you have family right now. And they don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've been praying for them and praying for them. Well, take heart to realize that even Jesus' own family did not believe on Him for quite a long time. Jude doesn't flaunt the fact that he is the half-brother of Jesus. It may be very tempting to, wouldn't it? You ever met a name dropper? You met someone they like to drop names? Well, I was out last month and I, I met so-and-so. And, or one time I met this person or whatever. Well, Jude didn't do that here. Jude didn't flaunt the fact that he was the half-brother of Jesus. Why? Well... Perhaps he wanted to emphasize that the relationship with Jesus is not a physical relationship that makes the difference, but a spiritual relationship. Maybe that's why the Holy Spirit inspired him this way. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 12, uh, 12 verses 46 through 50, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother, this is Jesus, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Lord, uh, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. You get the picture. Jesus is there. They say, hey, hey, your family's here. Your, your mother's here. Your brothers are here. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 48 through 50. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. 
In other words, it's not a physical relationship. It's a spiritual relationship. Not that Jesus did not love His family. He certainly did. He cared for them. He loved them. In fact, He even made provision for His mother as He's dying on the cross. But it's the spiritual relationship that matters the most. Even His own family had to exercise faith in Jesus in order to obtain eternal life. And so if we're going to be effective in our service for Jesus, first of all, we've got to lay down our rights and realize that we're slaves. Then we've got to come before the Lord and humble ourselves and realize that we have to walk as our Master walked in humility. If we're going to be effective in these things. But there's a third thing here we find in Jude. And it's this. We must be honest. We must be honest. Now, for this we move beyond verse 1. And we keep reading in Jude. <coughs> verse 2 says, it's another good sermon outline, by the way, if you're wanting some. Verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. You've got three points right there. Then verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So verse 3 is basically saying I wanted to write one type of letter about our salvation but I felt led to, to, to exhort you to say, hey, you need to contend, you need to stand up for the faith. Well, why is that, Jude? Look at verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The point I'm making here is if we're going to be effective servants, we've got to be honest. We've got to be honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with those that we're serving. Honest with God, honest with ourselves, and honest with those that we're serving. Jude wanted to write one kind of letter. I understand how Jude felt. There have been times I wanted to preach, Pastor Larry, a lighter message of, you know, just a refreshing, and the Lord just won't let me Go that direction. I have to preach a harder message. Uh, one that's not going to be quite as popular. One that people aren't going to like as much. Messages like, you're a slave. Versus, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Both are true. But we need to preach the whole counsel of God. That is the whole Word of God, not just our favorite part. And Jude wanted to write a certain kind. He said, I wanted to write about our common salvation. I wanted to write about Jesus and salvation. But I felt led, by the way, the Holy Spirit's leading him here, that I had to exhort you to contend for the faith. Really, this is a warring chapter. I need you to stand up for the faith. Go to fight for the faith. Uh, stand for the faith. Because there's certain men, ungodly men, who are creeping in. And they're turning the grace of God into lewdness and they're denying our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he was honest with them. Jude did not sugarcoat what was going on. He did not simply skip over the difficult things. He laid it out plain. He laid it out straight. He was honest. He was a man of integrity. And I'm telling you, beloved, we're living in a day where if you're going to live for Jesus... There are going to be a lot of people that are not going to like you. Now, I don't, I don't mean that in a way that you should be caustic or your personality 
or, or you're offensive on purpose. I mean, just if you believe the Bible, if you stand for the truth, if you say what the Bible says is right and what it says is wrong and you declare that, you're not going to be popular with a lot of people. And we're seeing that in our nation. And really, I think we're going to see a great division between the sheep and the goats in a great way because it's going to become harder and harder unless things change drastically. But the direction we seem to be going as a nation, as a people, is it's going to become harder and harder to stand upon the Word of God. We're seeing it in the laws that are being passed. We're seeing it in our society. We're seeing it in the pressures and, and all that's coming in our culture. But don't think it's strange. This stuff has been going on for years and years back to the early church. Back to, well, really, you go way back. When you stand for the Lord, we know that we have an enemy. He's real. We know we have those who hate the Lord Jesus. And, and I'm kind of getting on a, on a rabbit trail there. And so let's shoot that rabbit and then come on back. All right? As we minister to others, we've got to be honest. For instance, if someone comes to you and they're struggling and you know that there's blatant sin in their life. Now, we know we've got to be careful whenever we talk to someone about their sin because we need to deal with our own sin. We don't want to be the one that has a, a, you know, a board in our eye and they've got a, you know, a splinter in theirs. But we want, to, we want to make sure our hearts are right. We're dealing with our own sin. Our hearts are pure. Our hands are clean. But someone comes to us and they're struggling in some area and we know they have blatant sin in their life. Do you just comfort them and send them on their way? That's a tempting thing to do. Just comfort them. Oh, I'll pray for you. Or do you as a brother or sister in Christ and God helping you and God leading you, do you lovingly, do you lovingly confront and challenge them concerning their sin? Now, which is the easy thing to do? Well, I can tell you what the easy thing to do. God bless you. I'll pray for you. Hope things work out for you. But if you challenge them, which God calls us to do at times, that's not always easy. In fact, I don't know if it's ever easy. I can think of a recent episode where, where someone kind of put me on the spot and I thought it was widely clear what my position was. I mean, I thought it was like printed on my forehead. But they challenged me in it, and I just had to tell them the truth. And they were shocked, I think, and offended, and just couldn't believe it. And I believe where I stand is where the Scripture stands. And so it's hard. But see, that's the body of Christ at work. In reality, especially as Americans, we are very much independent. But in the body of Christ and the family of God, there's this sense where we are to encourage one another, challenge one another, love one another, help one another. And those that are straying away, those that are involved in sin and God gives us an opportunity and God leads us in that direction and, or maybe they come to us, we need to lovingly 
challenge them, confront them to confess and forsake their sin. See, Jude here didn't just overlook the apostasy. By the way, apostasy is running rampant in our Say, what is an apostate or apostasy? That's really someone who professes the truth and professes Jesus and then later denies it. If you see it today, they don't call it apostasy anymore, Pastor Larry. What they're calling it now is deconstructing their faith. I'm sure you've seen that too. Somebody's deconstructing their faith. A lot of the popular people, they might be a Christian music artist or a Christian celebrity, and all of a sudden you'll hear they're deconstructing their faith. No, they're apostatizing. That's the biblical word. It means someone professes Jesus. I know Jesus. I love Jesus. And then later they deny Jesus. They deny the truth. And we know that apostasy is that. Why? Because if you truly know the Lord Jesus, if you truly are a child of God, you will not apostatize. You will persevere. You will make it. He that has begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You will not deny Jesus. You will not deny Not ultimately... You may fail, you may fumble, we do, but you will not leave the faith. You will not leave Jesus. But there are those who apostatize, those who are in apostasy. And then there are those that are just blatant false teachers. Those who come in pretending. Even Satan himself comes in robed as an angel of light. Before we get on a rabbit trail again, we've got a lot of rabbits running around to shoot those things and get back. But here's what it is. He's not just ignoring the apostasy. He's not just ignoring the false teachers. He's not ignoring these ungodly men. He's dealing with it. He's sounding a warning. And he didn't set out to do that. He said, I set out to write about our common salvation. I wanted to to write a light, refreshing letter. But I've got to talk about this. I've got to be honest. And sometimes in the church we have to be honest. Sometimes in the church we have to deal with things. And, and over my time here at times we have had to deal with things and deal with issues. And they were not fun and they were not pleasant and they were not popular and they were not easy. But if we're going to be faithful and effective in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be honest and deal with what God brings across our path in His power for His glory. But I've got to warn you, when you do this, it may make people upset. It may offend them. It may even make them disgusted with you. But we must speak the truth in love. We must stand for the truth. Now, I've got to tell you, I've given you three characteristics, and we could probably pull more, but I want to say this. We can't do this in our own strength. This is not like a self-improvement plan where we say, okay, well, in 2023, I'm going to be more humble. No, you're not. Not like that. Uh, I'm going to be a slave. Well, you're already a slave. That's what we forget. You've got to acknowledge His Lordship over your life. I'm going to be honest. See, what I'm saying is this. You've got to have the Holy Spirit helping you to bring about these things. We think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, self-control, and so forth. And so we've got to have the Holy Spirit's help. And so we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And so when it comes to humility, how does that work? 
Well, we know the Bible says that we're to esteem, we're to consider others better than ourselves. We're not look upon our own needs, but the needs of others. And so there are times we have to remind ourselves of the truth. There are times we have to keep our mouths shut. There are times we have to take the back seat. There are times that let other people have the limelight. But we don't do that in our own strength. The Holy Spirit helps us to do those things. But we have a part to play in that, but the Holy Spirit's working it out. When it comes to honesty, it's a whole lot easier at times to be dishonest, is it not? Take the easy route. But we know the truth here. We know what God wants us to do. We pray, God, help me to be honest. Help me to do what you called me to do. And then as far as the slavery is concerned, as I've already mentioned, it's not that we're making ourselves slaves. We're already slaves. We're acknowledging His Lordship over us. See, a lot of people want Jesus as Savior, but they say, I don't want the Lord. He, you, you don't get a choice. He is Lord and Savior. You belong to Him. You've been purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus. And so what we're doing is we're acknowledging His Lordship. What does that look like? It looks like this. It means you start with Him rather than yourself. When you're making plans and directions and things, you go to Him first and say, Lord, what would Thou have me to do? Why? Because He's Master. Slaves don't make their own schedules. Slaves are told what to do by the Master. Let me ask you this, and we're almost done. Let me ask you four questions. Number one, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Is He your Savior? Has there ever been a time in your life where you have turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ? If not, that is the starting point. That is today. As God's dealing with your heart, I beg you, I exhort you, I plead with you, give your life to Christ. Repent of your sin and place your faith in Him. If that's settled, let me ask you this. Secondly, do you live as a slave of Christ? Do you live as a slave of Christ? Who's calling the shots in your life? Be honest about it. Who's calling the shots? By the way, let me just let you know, if you've got a little test here, God will never lead you contrary to this book. He'll never lead you. If you're going opposite way of this book, then He's not calling the shots in your life. A slave of Christ means that every day I wake up, I report for duty. Lord, what do you want me to do today? He's so gracious, so kind. He's already settled some of that for us. Hasn't He? He's put you in a certain place. Maybe it's a job, a career, or some sort of work. And every day He wants you to go to that place and He wants you to live for Him in that place. That's what we read about earlier. In your family that God's placed you in, He wants you to live for Him in that place. Always acknowledging Him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your steps. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Third question, do you live humbly? That's a hard one to answer, isn't it? You heard about the guy who was humble and proud of it? But do you live humbly? Think about your life. Do you esteem others better than yourself? Do you always have to be first? Do you always have to be the front of the line? Do you always have to beat everybody else out? Do you always have to have the trophy? Does your name always have to be printed? Do they always have to mention you? You say, preacher, preacher, Really, this is how you're going to start 2023, y'all? 
I know it's hard. Think about how the Lord Jesus humbled himself, laid aside the glories of heaven, and came and was born in a dirty, stinking stable, laid in an animal food trough. We sang about it earlier. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. No real home, you know. He just went and taught, ministered, healed, spread the kingdom of God. Fourth and finally, do you live honestly? Are you an honest person? Are you an honest person? You know the answer to that. That, that's the way God wants us to live, honestly. What is God the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? What's He put His finger on in your life? Can I just encourage you in whatever area it is to be obedient? To respond to Him in obedience? To say yes? If I could challenge you in 2023, and again, I don't know what it looks like. I think about when we started 2020, and I know I was looking forward to this. this is the new decade, and it's 2020, and we had no idea what was coming. And we still can't get over what came. <laughs> and I don't know what 2023 has for us, but can I just challenge you when it comes to the Lord with one word? It's the word yes. Would you say to the Lord in 2023, yes? You say, well, I don't know what the question is or what the command is. It doesn't matter. Just live saying yes. Lord, yes. I think about it as a song, the, I think the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sings, and the song is just yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You can go look it up. The whole song is all about yes, Lord. That's, that's the song. And that's the way we're supposed to live. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. What's God saying to you today? Will you say yes? Will you say yes? Will you say yes? You say, well, I don't know about that. What if He asked me to do something hard? He'll help you. What if He asked me to do something that seems impossible? What's impossible to God? Let's bow together. Father, I believe You're working right now in our midst. Holy Spirit, would You speak to hearts? Help us all as believers to get to that yes. Lord, if there are those today who don't know You, would they say, Lord, would you please help them to say yes to you today? Yes, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, I know Jesus died for me. Yes, I turn from my sin. Yes, I take Jesus by faith. Yes, be my Lord and Savior. For others who are struggling with this whole idea of the Lordship of Christ and then being a bondservant, a slave, would you help them today to say yes? Yes, I acknowledge I have you as my master and I love you.
And whatever you want me to do, the answer is yes. And then for those who maybe are struggling today with the whole idea of humility, maybe you're calling them to a very humble place. Yes. Help us to say yes, Lord. And finally, when it comes to honesty, maybe you put your finger on some area in our lives and you say, this is wrong. Help us to say yes. It is wrong. I confess it. I forsake it. Help me to make it right for your glory. Now, Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for purchasing us with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. May this be a fantastic year of growth in our trust and our love and our maturity in Christ as we say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I... I think we'll sing in closing. The altar's open. Maybe you need to come pray about something. Maybe you need to come and lay that yes here at the altar. Pastor Larry's here. He could minister with to you and help you if you have a need. Or if you just want to come and pray on your own, the altar's open. But we're going to sing in closing 313, Take the Name of Jesus with you. I think that's a good challenge and a good song to close out a New Year's Day service. So the altar's open. You come today. Say yes to the Holy Spirit in whatever way He's leading you. 313, let's stand together and sing. Take the name of Jesus with